Blog Talk Radio. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! You've heard about it. You've read about it. You've talked about it. And now you've found it. This is Alan Smith's Ask the Trucker Live on Blog Talk Radio, the largest radio social network in the world, with your hosts, Alan and Donna Smith, focusing on driver health, careers, regulations, and the important issues facing the industry. It's time to shut down that big rig, sit back, and come join the conversation. Ask the Trucker Live begins right now. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today is Saturday, October 17th, 2015. I'm Alan Smith, and thanks for spending some of your Saturday time with us this evening. It's open forum on Ask the Trucker Live, one of our most popular formats here on the show. And, and this evening, we thought we would kick it off with discussing aspects of a recent report by the ATA, the American Trucking Association, and their comments and views regarding the uh, so-called truck driver shortage. Now, this uh, driver shortage is a popular mechanism that many within industry uses from time to time to catch the attention of the media, but these organizations and others may be able to fool the media, but in my opinion, uh, they can't fool the truckers. We'll, we'll talk about this different definitions of this uh, driver shortage in regards to how it is presented to the media as well as the uh, different definitions of a qualified driver as it relates to the hiring process within the trucking industry and how the definitions of qualified and turnover differs between the uh, motor carriers and the professional driver. And, of course, it is open forum, so anything trucking on your mind you would like to share or discuss to uh, be a part of the show, our call-in number 347 eight two six nine one seven zero and when you are ready to come on the air just press one on your keypad at any time and Donna and I will get you on just as soon as possible. So quick break. Our show this evening trucking open forum the various perceptions of the trucking industry and it's all coming up on Ask the Trucker Live. You're listening to Ask the Trucker Live with Alan Smith on Blog Talk Radio. Don't go anywhere. Alan and Donna will be right back. Hey everybody, Alan Smith here. Have you been driving a big rig for a while now and considering starting your own business as an owner-operator? Well, Lone Mountain Truck Leasing offers the best lease purchase plan in the industry. With a small down payment and monthly payments around $1,000 or less, you make the monthly payment and when the final payment is made, they hand over the title. It really is that simple. There is no big balloon payment at the end and secondly, the truck is yours, not a lease plan under one truck and company. So if becoming an owner-operator is your goal, do it the right way. Do it the best way. Contact Lone Mountain Truck Leasing on the web at LoneMountainTruck.com or give them a call toll-free at 866-512-5685. That's LoneMountainTruck.com.
This is Ask the Trucker Live with Alan Smith. To be a part of the program, call in now at 347-826-9170. Skype users can call in by clicking on the Skype button on our show page. To be a sponsor of the show, email Donna at info at askthetrucker.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, and uh, appreciate you tuning in. The board there is lighting up. Uh, if you would like to be a part of the show, just press 1 on your keypad at any time. And, and Donna, I guess uh, kind of the big thing that's kind of been going on this week is this um, recent ATA truck driver shortage report. I think the last one they did was in 05, so 10 years. Uh, but it's kind of got them all talking again. It's kind of the, kind of the same old thing, but a lot of new things in there too as well. Yeah, well, and and one other thing I want uh, want to mention is a lot of people are listening uh, from the internet and not their phone. So if you do want to be a part of the show, you have to dial in on your phone three four seven eight two six nine one seven zero, and then uh, just press one. So uh, a lot of times, you know, people listening and then all of a sudden they want to say something and they don't know the number. But anyway, I just wanted to say that. But yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think. Um, that article that uh, you put up, I don't know how many days ago, but it, it's really caught on and being shared uh, around the uh, the trucking community on social media. And I think the, the key of that was that definition of, uh, qual- what is it, qualified driver? Qualified. Yeah. So, you know, what what is that term? What You know, what's the definition of that? And um, I guess, what is it for carriers? They're talking about, um, I guess, scores and uh, PSP, their PSP score and um, if they job hop, another one, right? Yeah, well, I think it's funny that it's funny to sit back and uh, funny in a whimsical way to sit back and see how the definitions of uh, qualified and unqualified and the definition of a, of a turnover rate and driver shortage. It's interesting to see how the definitions of those terms have changed over the years, especially with the implementation of CSA and everything, because drivers now are being punished uh, by doing things that they were allowed to do for decades and decades, for years and years, but now with the CSA and the PSP and the points and and you know they always throw that word safety in there. Um, now they're now, you know they're now all of a sudden they're not qualified when for decades they were qualified for doing the same thing. Well, yeah. In in other words, um, tell me if I'm hearing you right. <clears throat> if if they were driving for a, a carrier prior and there was something you know w- wrong with the truck and the driver got. Um, you know, a violation, but he had told the company, say, hey, you know, this is wrong, and they say, well, keep going until you reach such and such a place, and then they get stopped, and the driver gets the violation, correct? Is that how it used to work? You know, just the driver got the violation? Yeah, yeah. And now, the carrier gets the violation, too. So So now it's a whole different ball game. Yeah, now they're worried about scores, so, um, but now even further than that, it's when I mean this ATA referred to it as job hopping. Uh, this turnover rate. I mean, hey, 
I mean, for years and years, drivers hopped from job to job to job for the same reason they're doing today and had no problem getting hired. But now all of a sudden, oh, the job hopping, oh, well, you're unqualified. Really? So so it's just ironic to me that how they have changed the definitions of what of the the actions that drivers have been doing for years and years now now it's all it's all the different they're playing on terms now well and and the other thing the the term turnover rate um i don't know but didn't turnover rate used to mean just drivers coming in and leaving the industry but that was almost promoted uh because you know you'd get new drivers in and they'd um work for low wages and get fed up and leave, and that was considered turn. Wasn't it like 125% or something years oh, yeah. ago? Uh, What's oh, the yeah. highest it ever was that you can remember? The highest I can ever remember is 125, 130. Okay. That's the highest I can remember, and it's always, you know, it's always been an average. You know, now with the crash of 08, I think it went down to about 70% because people didn't have jobs, so they, you know, they jumped in a truck and took off. As soon as their job came back, they left. But that's been going on as for as long as I can remember. But now it seems like it's a a different story. So, yeah. you know, here, I'm, I'm going to pull up your article. And just I look. mean, the ATA in the, in the truck driver shortage analysis by the ATA, it stated that turnover is a reflection of, the, of a demand for drivers with higher turnover rates, meaning that there's a stronger demand for drivers. And... <laughs> I just, I just I don't get it, you know. I mean, it, it, it's just ironic to me how they how they twist these things and everything. I mean, the drivers that I've known in the past are doing the same thing as they're doing now. I mean, they're they're well now it's harder for a, obviously for a driver to job hop, even because now it's going to be a reflection of whether or not they're qualified or not. So it's all it's all changing and everything. But they weren't they weren't hopping from job to job. Because there was a stronger demand, it's the same reason they're hopping, or used to hop anyway, and still maybe do at a little pace, but they're not getting what they were promised from the care that they originally hired on it. And and the bottom line is, you know, with all this talk about shortage and qualified driver shortage, when, in fact, um, there's thousands of drivers who are, you know, looking for jobs but they're told they're not qualified either. Where's that quote that um, you had in there from uh, John Peoria from Find a Trucker here? Because we, we asked him, are you finding that drivers aren't qualified? And um, and he replied here, I, I, here it is, we are certainly not seeing a lack of experienced drivers registering for our website, and that's the findatrucker.com website. Um, to to apply for truck driver jobs. Many drivers have years of experience in various types of driver jobs and hold many endorsements. What can hold drivers back, however, are the specific application requirements at various carriers, a factor that can disqualify otherwise experienced drivers or preventable accidents within a certain time frame and or the number of jobs held within the last few years. Uh, Also, many carriers have various requirements for length of time, 
since a felony conviction or a DWI. Well, I guess that's explainable. I mean, you don't want, you know, DWIs and stuff. So since the, the, and I'm still quoting from John, since the criteria varies from company to company, an experienced driver may meet the criteria for most companies but fall short for others. So basically he's saying the same thing about the number of jobs held within the last few years. But, I mean, when you look at it, why are they going from job to job? Now, the ATA says it's for a a bonus. But, I, I mean, I don't get that. If I had a job and I liked it and I was paid well and treated well and somebody down the street, you know, was offering a $1,500 bonus to come work for them. I don't know about everybody else, but I think to myself, well, I've got a pretty good job here, and I know what I have, but if I go over there, who knows how I'll be treated and everything. So to me, even a $5,000 bonus, if, if you don't know what you're getting into, you know, wouldn't make sense. But... I guess if you're unhappy and you don't like the way you're treated and the other company is saying, well, we're going to treat you much better and pay you more and this and that, then, um, you know, I guess maybe I would. So I think the bottom line is drivers are still looking for for a better a better job. And, uh, and now it's like if the carriers see them doing that, it's like a black mark, almost like that, that DAC black mark you get, right? It's like a black mark for for looking for a better job. Now, am I looking at it correctly? I mean, yeah, maybe not just just solely looking, but going from one job to the next, and even if it's trying to better yourself, which anybody would do. But uh, the sign on the sign on bonus is just ridiculous because ninety nine percent of the time you don't even get the sign on bonus anyway. So. Well, hey, it's open forum. Let's uh, let's get it rolling over here, Don, and see what's going on. Let's check in with. Uh, uh, Tennessee, area code 901. Welcome to the show. Yes. <laughs> Good evening. Hi. Hello. This is Jerry calling. Hey, Jerry. How Hi. are you? I'm doing great. Well, I've been off about a month with a little injury here, but we're going to get back here in a couple of days. By the way, I find it very interesting. Most of you know I've been in the business since God created dirt. And I'm sitting here, we're talking about, <laughs> well, actually, I started full-time in 1966, and I'm third generation. I was brought home from the hospital as a newborn baby in May 1946 in a brand-new K-7 International cattle truck. So like I said, I've been around since God created dirt, and I guess he started dirt with 1946. Anyway, <laughs> it's interesting here, and I agree with a lot of what I all is saying here. And it's it's a big scam. They're deceiving the press. They're deceiving themselves. They're desperate. They've ruined the industry, basically the truckload people, the bottom feeders. And they were around even in the regulated days, but they weren't smart enough to become ICC carriers, like the PIEs and all those. Clarence Warner was around. Uh, Swift was around. Jerry Moy was around. Prime was around. He was Midwestern Distribution. But they were bottom feeders then. And only since deregulation did they kind of gain some stride. But I believe long-term it's only temporary. There is a crisis coming. We could talk about this till the cows come home. Nobody has enough power to really change it. I appreciate those who work with us 
to create the noise that's beginning to get us noticed, by the way, that could help with the change. But on the idea of qualification, early 1984, the old interstate motor freight system, I was, that was my alma mater. I was there like 16 years. My dad was there almost 30. Eighth largest carrier in the nation. In those days, when you're a new driver, you didn't even wear your first year safe driving pin. You didn't start wearing your pins until you had five or six years. Because here's all these old tires with 20 and 30 years of pins on their hats and belts and everything. Well, due to deregulation, uh, the very well-paid drivers back then could not compete against the truckload carrier mentality where we're trying to compete against people virtually working for nothing. The pay rate in 1984 was about 34 cents a mile. The truckload drivers are good 8 to 10. All of our non-driving time was compensated at 13, 15 an hour. The truckload drivers got nothing, and that's about 40 hours a week that they donate to their employers in the industry for nothing. So the handwriting was on the wall. The well-paid jobs were not going to survive. But in the meantime, I remember well when you started talking about qualifications. When Interstate Motor Freight closed up, up in Middlesex, Pennsylvania, exit one on Interstate 80s, where one of our terminals were. We had drivers up there, the old Bedford, Pennsylvania drivers, with 30 and 35 years of safe driving. Went over to Schneider there on uh, Interstate 76 and 71. I forget the name of the town. It's where the truck stops are. And applied to Schneider. And here's what we found. Tires are 20, 25, 30 years of safe driving. Had never changed the job in 30 years. Schneider, Warner, and all the others were telling us, me included, we were overqualified. And now they're crying about can't finding people that were qualified. What did they mean, overqualified? What did they mean by that? Overqualified. Well, here's what it was. It doesn't take hard to see this. They knew that we were used to earning forty five, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a year and only working 60 hours and seven days. They okay. knew that when okay. we go to work for them and they're paying $0.10 cents a mile, keeping you away from home for two and three months at a time, working you over 100 hours a week, and I could substantiate that. You've seen my numbers. Most truckload drivers, I'm using their own study, the own study under the leadership of Lana Bates, Truckload Carriers Association, commissioned Martin Lab and Associates in 1999 to do the study. They pulled the large truckload carriers and found out that the reefer drivers were at the loading and unloading docks about 43 hours a week. The drive-in drivers, 34 and a half, I believe they rounded it off to 40 for no pay. Now, I do it. I run my own authority. I had to capitulate to the standards. All the loading and unloading time we donate. Not only that, but we do not include it in the 70 or 80 hours we're actually driving. But we're still doing it. Well, if that's true, if we're still doing it, and we're still driving 70 or 80, that means really somehow or rather on duty is somewhere around 120 hours a week. Yep. If you were Schneider and any of the others, would you be hiring somebody that's making more than your drivers are making now and working half the, the amount of time? I mean, human being time, 60 hours a week. 
where he could be a father, he could be a husband, he could be a grandpa. He could be involved in the community. You're only going two or three days at a time. The freight used to relay. So therefore, because we were used to jobs that kind of adapted to real human beings, we were overqualified. They would not hire us. Now we turn around and they're the same employers are saying, well, we can't find anybody who's qualified. But wait a minute. 20 years ago, you could have hired all the qualified drivers you'd ever want. You wouldn't have had to put them through truck driver training school. They knew the job. They knew the business. They knew the law rules. They knew everything and knew how to do it legally and earned a very good living. Now, what would those numbers be today? I'll, I'll, I'll conclude with this. What would those numbers be today? 1978, Pat Hockaday has seen the numbers. I'm getting them out to some. Somehow I'll get all you folks to you. I have patience here. From the spring of 1978, nationwide under the Teamster National Master Free Agreement, so we were all paid the same, the pay rate was 23425 cents a mile. That would be 80-something cents a mile today. The hourly pay for all non-driving work, breakdowns, load, unload, fuel time, drop and book time, weather time, chain time, was 9.39 an hour. That would be right close to $34 an hour today. Right. The problem is we don't have underqualified drivers. We've got qualified drivers that can't find jobs qualified for their level of professionalism. Right. The jobs right. aren't and qualified. The jobs are up to standard. <clears throat> well, they, they're saying – they're saying and, – and, Tell me if I'm wrong. We had a big discussion on this today. But don't you believe that CSA has played a huge part in uh, in all this as as well as uh, regulation? I mean, twofold the way the way I'm seeing it is years ago you hired people coming into the industry and you got them to move freight very cheaply they most likely were going to leave the industry because the, um, Alan, you brought up today the recruiting ads. Um, they were told, you know, they were going to make all this money, and then they realized, no, I'm I'm just working like a dog for no money, so they left. And at that time, they usually got grants for these people anyway to get them in the industry, so they already made money on that, and or subsidies or whatever it was that they were getting for that. And so... This was kind of promoted, you know, as almost like the business model. Correct? Do you agree with that? Yeah, that that occurred after deregulation. The bottom feeders, the ones that were around right. before, they used to be known as contractors. By the way, they were not ICC commentators because basically they just didn't have the intelligence to get there. The manager. Okay. Anybody could have gotten ICC authority if they were smart enough. Right, right. So, so they 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 just here. chose yeah. to drive for somebody, and and right. and and on top of that, they were you know going to truck driving school and paying a lot of money, and then moving on to um, a canary. Now some people did you know they stuck it out, they went through their first year of earning peanuts, learned the ropes, and then moved on to either another company or a local company or whatever they did. I mean, Alan, you 
you did it for years, but you were before they did all that CDL training and everything. So mm-hmm. I guess it was different for you. But well, the carriers used to train it. Yeah, the carriers used to But what I'm getting at is they didn't worry so much about that then about and I, you know you have to correct me if I'm wrong because I'm this is just how I'm seeing it now okay. that they didn't worry so much about the new driver if they got into a, a fender bender or something or they had a violation because it no it wasn't on the carrier's safety score. There were no safety scores back then. There were, was no CSA. And, you know, so that was okay. Now I think people, when they say that, oh, carriers are much more safety concerned, their priority is safety, I don't think it's so much that they're concerned about safety, although I think they are. I think what that really says is they're concerned about their safety score. Well, so, here's what in a way happened. There's there's a lot of history here. You go back to the old, I'm, I'm talking the premium carriers, the carriers that, that we all aspire to. I was lucky I had, I had family. It's, you know, I'll, I'll put it right out there. I was good. But I also had family connections, so I had the opportunity to get in there quicker. But everybody started off falling grain and this, that, and the other thing. Many, many, many. I'm not saying all because there's never anything 100%. But many aspired to get to the premium jobs, the top two or three or 400 carriers where you had a real job and you had benefits and you're, you're home frequently and you had top pay. Let's face it, we all want to get to the top. Well, see, those carriers imposed very strict hiring qualifications. You go look at PIE and uh, the old Navajo and Western Gillette and CF and those carriers here, McLean truck lines, they wouldn't let you run over the road until you're 25 to 27 years old. They wow, were now they want to get them at 18. Yeah, yeah. And, and why was that? They wanted that experience. They wanted that maturity. Even then, starting locally, those kind of carriers, now there were the smaller carriers like I got started with. You work local for a year or two or three, hourly, by the way. You get on to mileage jobs. That's where the big money was. Then after you put in your time and you learn the, the business, so to say, then, you know, now you became eligible to move on up into these over-the-road jobs. I mean, the professional jobs. Or I went to work in a starch blue shirt and tie and a uniform. And many, many, a 30 or 40% of the rest of the drivers, there was a quite an esprit de corps in this industry. And the old timers held you that, too. If they saw you doing something, they'd put you down and say, hey, Uncle, let me show you a trick. So there's that constant training. But here's where I want to go on the CSAs. Back then, those type of carriers, you go, if I went from Memphis to Oklahoma City and had to stop Little Rock Terminal, run VIA, and I'm there two hours. If I had logged that line one or line two, they'd have fired me in a heartbeat for falsification of logs. Back then, if you knocked a mirror off the truck, it was a chargeable accident. Today, it's known as an incident. So what happened when the bottom feeder employers, the Hunts, the Warders, the Schneiders, the Swifts, and all these, the Englands, as they began to get the dominance in the business because it was through exploitive human resource policies, 
use them, abuse them, cheat them, beat them, and send them down the road and look for another one just as ignorant. Now, I'm not talking ignorant intellectually. I'm talking ignorant of the business. That's what they preyed on. They are predators, by the way. These big load truckload carriers have had a little edge. It's predatory human resource policies, but that's running out. But in the meantime, they ignored the law rules. In fact, if anything, they promoted running illegal. How do I know? I used to run two log books under a lot of these truckload carrier systems. They knew what was going on. But in the meantime... Yeah, well, that's what I was saying. Yeah. I mean, the, meantime, the things the that they were... And then the government the... imposed the rules on them that they would no longer impose on themselves. Right. That's what Well, happened. isn't that... Isn't that what you were saying, Alan, that the yeah, things that yeah, they were told to do, now they're said not to do, and now they're called unsafe, right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's why I right. say it's ironic, because now all of a sudden, oh, you can't do that, but the, it, was, it was okay for decades, but now all of a sudden, oh, you can, and that's largely due to the regulations, like Jerry said, you know, the CSA forcing that upon them now, but before that, uh, hey, you know, run. I, I knew drivers running three logs. I mean, hey, it's okay. Yeah. Just do what it takes, you know. <laughs> so Now, before that time, that would be deregulation. Before that time, I mean, when I punched out of Memphis here going to Dallas, if it was 9.07 in the morning, that it better be 9 o'clock in the logbook. If it was 9.08, it better be 9.15 because the carriers – believe how strict these carriers used to be on the drivers and you got a letter for falsifying logs that was it you get two or three of those your lifetime job just went down the tube and if you went down the road to cf cf talked to somebody there saying son uh that guy does a lot of illegal logging you're a black ball there too in a way now what companies what companies were these this is before this is before deregulation okay i'm talking consolidated freightways pie transcon building uh western gillette roadway all those old giants the old giants of the industry these people had a very high standard if i knocked a spot mirror off i'd better report that if i didn't report it and another driver found damage on the truck the previous driver to me then i had failed report an accident. I'm blackballed out of the business, by the way. Well, That's you know what that tells me, Alan? Knocking that mirror off was the equal to totaling the truck out. <laughs> you know what that tells me? What? That the, the higher standards, but back then they were also making good money, hmm. so you could require those high standards because you were paying them well. Now and you've got the human, and you've got the human capital. You got to look into that word human capital. I'm using it for the first time. It just ran across the other day. And when you paid wages like that, you hired from a whole different pool than what the industry labor pool than what the industry hires from today. And so, okay, so you know what? What do you guys think is? The problem, then, I mean, besides, listen, the the, the the wage problem has been going on for ages, um, a long time. And, of course, you're saying, and, and we've been saying that it happened after deregulation. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
does wouldn't freight the that promote cheap freight also all you know you're, you, you in other words you pay the ones who can pay the drivers the least they can afford to move the freight the cheapest i mean that's my logic is that true yeah and and, and what okay. happened here is see you got to understand well how do i make this short regulated transportation i studied this in college so i know some of this you had actually you look at freight bills the you know, bills of lady today you look down towards the bottom of the bill, lady, and sometimes the top will have NMFC, National uh, National Something or Other Freight Classification. Say a Class 50, Class 60. So no matter if you're going to haul a coil steel thing, if it was uh, uh, PIE to haul that coil, if it was Transcon to haul that coil, if it was Branch Motor Freight, everybody had to charge the same. The government and industry and supply chain got together and determined what freight rates would be. So, therefore, the carrier couldn't come in and sacrifice the driver's pay to get the freight from somebody else. But once that went away, even back in the regular regulated days, we had what was called exempt commodities. And that was any type of product that had not been manufactured at all, produce, uh, fresh-cut lumber, unprocessed milk, coal, all that kind of stuff. Now, once it had been manufactured, now it falls under the uh, national freight classification. So what happened after deregulation, essentially, that they threw it open to the idea of the law of supply and demand. See, that's what determines our availability now. And there's where I have a problem convincing drivers that the answer to better pay and working conditions is not more hours, the more we make ourselves available relative to the demand from freight, the cheaper we are. Right. The less we make ourselves available, the more important we are to someone. And our wages and freight rate and the freight rates would reflect it, and the higher freight rates should be reflected in higher wages. Right. So this is nothing more than to keep... Right. So so now most of your freight moves at no better than produce rates. The law of supply and demand, that's why it floats up and down. So let me ask, um, oh boy, you know, I, I mean, I, I know you both of you have been doing this since, when did you start, Jerry? Alan, you started, what year did you start? What? Uh, the OTR. OTR? Um, oh, Lord, let's see. Uh, OTR. Shoot, I don't even remember. Uh, 19, 1986, I believe. Okay. Somewhere around there. Okay. I, okay. I started part time in 1964, but remember, my dad and granddad and whole family was in it. 1966, I went full time, dropped out of college. Can you imagine that? to drive a truck, and over the road I started in 1968. Wow. And and what, what year uh, did it become deregulated? It was 80 what? 1980. 1980. Oh, it was 1980. 1980. 1980. Oh, so, now, so okay, so you started when it was deregulated. Alan, you started, it had already been regulated, so yeah. you already had to deal with all that. I started, uh, when, it, I started when it was regulated. In the 1980s. Oh, regulated. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Wow. 
Now, so, um, as far as I can prove something on this, as far as what Alan was referring to as the driver shortage. May 1984, I was finally laid off in interstate motor freight. So, like most people, I'm looking at the one ads. I live here just outside of Memphis, Tennessee, one of the top 10 transportation distribution centers in the nation. So that means we have a lot of transportation jobs here, air, rail, and truck. In the commercial appeal, the only paper in town here, in the summer of 1984, this is only four years into deregulation, it hasn't really started getting a momentum or a big effect yet that it's headed that way. So I thought, how could I determine this? So I went down to Memphis State University and doing some study. I said, I'm going to start counting the one ads in the paper. In the summer of 1984, in the Memphis Commercial Appeal, there were only four ads for truck drivers or owner-operators. Ten, twelve years later, whatever it is, when the wife and I stopped counting, it had gone over 150 in the same paper. They were all doing the same job. Not all those people retired. Most of them just can't afford to drive trucks anymore. That's why they left. Now, how did that okay. happen? And then we began to figure out that some of the companies, Schneider for one, was running three different ads in the same paper. Yeah. How did that happen? Well, that's all you. That's all you see if you look in the if you look in the you know wanted ads. Uh, I mean, ninety five percent of it is truck drivers. You know, truck drivers wanted truck drivers. That's been yeah. that way for years now, Jerry. Yeah, it's just that the qualifications have changed. See, there uh, are new people even in management in the industry. They think that turnover is endemic to this industry. It just naturally goes along with it. That is so far from true. Gee, I can remember when I was just a young fellow wanting to get into it. It was a real mystery. Believe me, you had to know somebody, really, to get a bad job. And I'm not, not in the classic example of this. I'm with a regional carrier, gaining more experience, only 22 years old yet, got away from the hourly job, doing regional work, just one day, same day out and back type of thing, pedaling LTL freight. My dad calls me on a Wednesday. He says, I'm glad you're home. And by the way, calling home in 1968, no, seven, was a big deal. He calls me, he call collect. He says, I'm glad you're home. Get down to see Mr. Biggs. Scotty just got killed on a mountain up here in Hancock, New York. I put on my dress slacks, got a good haircut and everything. Went down, saw Mr. Biggs. I'd known him when he was a dispatcher. He knew his kids. Told him I wanted to apply for Scotty's job. He's, uh, Scotty's body wasn't even back in Carlstadt yet, by the way. Wow. So I knew of a job. I replaced a guy that got killed. Can you imagine that? But I wow. did have the yeah. I did have right, the experience. Right. 30 days for us, 23 interstate, and a minimum of 23 for road drivers. And my dad had a very, very good record, but I had a, big, a very good driving record, too. That's how you got jobs. You had to know somebody. This is a cruel, closed business at one time. Well, I'll tell you one thing. And, uh, I mean, if if the wages ever got to the point where they should be over, you know, if you compared what people were making in the in the 70s, 80s to what they're making now, which is just to me, it almost seems like it's about the same, right? I mean, am I am I correct? It is. Um, uh, Pat has Pat has a chart 
This is published by Cass Information Systems on behalf of the American Trucker Association. And it shows in the year 1980, your line haul drivers like I was on was making about, let me see if I get this right, about $32,000 a year. Your truckload drivers like a Schneider are making about $28,000 a year. Now, in the year 2000, the LTL drivers that were making 32, I believe it was, are now up to 78,000 a year, and the truckload drivers were at 41,000 a year. If you run those same numbers through the inflation calculator, that means the average LTL driver should today should be making 99,700 and something dollars, and the truckload driver is still at 41,000. Now, to make it even worse, the truckload driver is working double the hours the LTL driver because he hides all of his, his non-driving time. Then on top of it, from 1980 to the year 2000, we have now gone from pulling 45-foot trailers to 53-foot trailers. We have an 11-hour day where we now can run 650 or 700 miles a day. We're used to run 500 miles a day. We now haul 80,000 pounds instead of 73,000 pounds. And the average truckload driver isn't making a penny, a penny more per year than he was making in the in the ATA's own study from 1980. Wow, wow, wow! And and you know, my pay in 1982 was 54,000 something dollars. I was first man in the export. That would be 121,000 dollars today. If you were paying your drivers any worse than 99 to $121,000 a year and only working 60 hours in seven days, do you think there would be a driver shortage? Mm-hmm. No, and, you know, it's funny, too, you know, because, Donna, I was looking at this, uh, you know, report from the ATA. And let's see, caller from Washington State in Texas. I'll grab you here in just a second. I got a – I was looking at this, you know, and, there, and they even give uh, – you know, their assessment for the driver shortage, you know, why there is, you know, they explain it's low wages, uh, not enough uh, driving experience. And then at the same time, I think it's funny, Donna, that they want to bring in uh, 19-and-a-half-year-olds. So apparently they must have a lot of driving experience. So it's contradictory, in you know, you look at it as contradictory in many ways. Well, and, and, and one of the things I'm looking at that assessment now that you're looking at, Mm-hmm. Um, they blame retiring, that the, the age is 49, okay, the average age, and that they have to replace these retired drivers. Well, one, who's going to come into an industry with all this sacrifice uh, learning this trade? A lot of these drivers stayed in trucking because that's all they knew after that's so many daughter. years. That's drivers uh, say to me, right? Well, if you know all this, why are you still? I says, I'll be honest with you. It's the only thing that I know. As bad as it is, there you go. It's the only thing I know. Okay. Now, if you've got to replace these guys, you have to convince a new group coming in to live this lifestyle for above poverty wages. Just, I mean, if twenty-five thousand is considered, I guess you know poverty um, and they're coming in at 30 cents a mile um what does that come out a week and what is the yearly salary for that what what is that about um at 2000 i've been finally tracking my daily expenses on the road and i get you know the little bonuses from ta petro for buying field stuff 
so I put it on a separate credit card because I never really knew for sure. It cost me 130 to $140 a week. Now, I'm not a big eater anymore. I'm an old guy. I don't eat half of what I used to. So now you got to take $7,000 a year off that 40000 or 42000 after they pay their on-the-road expenses. And don't give me that stuff. It's tax deductible. Because they're in such a low tax bracket, it means almost nothing anyway. Right. Right, and that's what a lot of the, the newcomers uh, coming in don't even realize anyway. Well, it's just the same thing been going on for years. But, hey, let's go. Uh, Jerry, your line's still yep. open. I'll open up the lines here. Okay. Washington State, uh, Washington State, area code 509. Uh, thanks for holding. Welcome to the show. Hi, Alan. My name's Joe Ammons. Oh, hey, Joe. Hey, Joe. How are you? I'm good. I know you saw my comment earlier about that. The, the trucking companies overstocking on new trucks uh-huh. to get the tax oh. off and then claiming they were short-seated. <laughs> yeah. You know, somebody else brought that up to us the other day, that it's really yeah. just an over, just a surplus of trucks. <laughs> it, it's, you can create that, that driver shortage by having too many trucks sitting in a yard, and, and then you get the tax deduction off the truck. Uh, mm-hmm. If they ran every truck they've got, there wouldn't be enough freight to run them anyway. Right. Well, I mean, and they're saying that there's enough freight. I mean, um, you know, it's very confusing. It's it's almost like a a delusional picture, like a you know to to convince Smoking people that, that that this is yeah. That, there you go. Um, to convince people that this is a problem, when in fact. Um, it's almost like to create the problem to keep wages down. Because really, I only see increasing wages as the way if you truly had a shortage. Truly. That wages, to me, would only be the only solution. What if you did what my petition says and did away with the FLSA exemption? Oh, Alan, you were just talking about that today, about his uh, if, his uh, petition. Mm-hmm. Because <coughs> about if, the, if, the, if the FLSA exemption is removed, even if they don't create an hourly wage, they would have to create a compensation rate that's equal to your driving pay while you're rolling. And I, I, I know that I'm an owner-operator, and I've had other owner-operators look at me and say, what difference does it make? Well, we got a trickle-down thing out here. And I'm telling you, if the FLSA exemption was lifted, owner-operators would feel the impact in six months, greatly feel the impact. In a positive way, no? Yes. Oh, yes. I I mean, it, it, it would change detention. It would change how long you wait for a load. It would change the way they book you. That would change the rate. You would actually have a livable income out here. Yeah, and, and Donna, that was that's the thing. That's the key that I was saying earlier. Just me and you talking. It boils down to two words: livable wage. You know, and that's the key. Hey, I'm going to uh, I'm going to open up line uh, Texas area code five one two just in case they want to get in with the conversation because this is open forum. So uh, Texas five one two area code, uh, you're on the show too. Who we got here? Hello, this is Pat Hockaday, JoJo. Hey, hey Pat. Hey Pat. Okay. I'm, your line I'm is sorry. Your, I, your, your, I got your. 
I was just going to say your line is open as well, and let me see. Okay. Uh, but, Joe, I didn't want to cut you off either, but go ahead if you wanted to continue. But uh, Jerry and Pat, y'all lines open too, and everyone else I'm looking down here just listening. So, uh, uh, Joe, go ahead. Didn't mean to cut you off. No, that's all right. I, I didn't feel cut off. I just I push that petition every chance I get because it's – and and Todd Dill with Overdrive asked me a while back if, if that was going to do any good to go to the Secretary of Transportation. Well, with MAP 21, yes and no, because Congress now actually has the control to change that before MAP 21, the Secretary of Transportation – had the sole grip on that whether or not we were going to be exempt, and that was changed. Oh so that yeah, has been revised to go to Congress once I get enough signatures. Well, and you know they just—it surprises me that um, with a solution like that, it didn't make it into the transportation bill. What was it that just made it in the transportation bill, uh, Alan? Was it was it the um, the nineteen-year-old? Drivers went uh, as a study or something they wanted to do for that. Uh, I, I, they want to do the study for uh, what is it between nineteen and a half and twenty one years old? I think. Yeah, that yeah, was? that was yeah. it. Right, right, yeah, right. But, but it's pilot. just going to be a study. Pilot. Going to be a, a yeah, right. So if they could put that in there, they surely could put this <laughs> exemption in there, right? I mean, it's well, just I, a pick and choose. I don't want to say anything about any particular group, but I've been after one group of of truckers out here for five years to bring that up as a bargaining chip. And they say, well, we don't want to bargain. We just don't want them. And I'm saying, you know, they're going to ram it down our throat, so let's use a bargaining chip. But they're not ready to do that even yet. No. What do you mean? I I guess I don't understand. What do you mean they're they're not willing to use them? If you're going to make us do EOBRs, and oh, I see. Okay, done away yeah. with the ground rule for the FLA exemption anyway, because that was the old rule of the trucking companies that that brought that up. Was that we don't know so, what the driver's so, doing? So you're telling. Well, listen, the ELDs are gonna. They're on, on the thirtieth. They're ready to make that a final rule. So where's the bargaining chip? Well, that's the trouble. We didn't use that bargaining chip. I've been after it for five years. I'm really disappointed in in some of the groups that I've contacted. And Alan, yeah, the what, person that's responded positively to me in, on this petition, uh, I got one coverage from Overdrive, and I got absolutely zilch from Landline. Uh, CCJ even ran a story on it two years ago. Okay, uh, well, what was yeah. Landline's? What was what was their reason? Well. Landline was is, is OIDA, and OIDA said, no, we don't want to use it for a bargaining chip, which is what I suggested five years ago. We just are going to fight the EOBRs. Which well, didn't happen. So now it's... Uh... Right. So so now you've kind of pushed that aside instead of coming and say, look, if you're going to make us do this, then give us back a wage that compensates that off-duty or on-duty not driving line. Right. And they didn't, right. they didn't push for it. Wow. Okay. Um, now, yeah, I, so we... Can I throw something in here? Uh, sure. Joe, I, I 100% agree with you, but there may be many listening today. A lot of us have been around these terms. FSLA is Fair, Stay, Fair, Wa- Fair Standard Labor Act or Fair Wages, whatever it is. Right. right. Fair, Fair Labor Standards Act. Or, or other, 
yeah, for other listeners may not know that term there. Right. And and basically it yeah. it takes away all your possibility for overtime pay. I mean, mm-hmm. it just exempts you from uh fair labor, really. I mean, <laughs> that's basically yeah, what basically. it does, right? Yeah. It, <laughs> and the reason was see uh, under the original Fair Wage and Labor Standard Act, agriculture and transportation was exempted from all your federal labor, a lot of your federal wage laws, minimum wage, time and a half, and all that kind of stuff. And it's stayed until this day. So what Joe's talking about, and even the group that I was working with earlier this year, back when we were you know, trying to get some others, we need to get back under the Fair Wage and Labor Standard Act somehow. And Joe's exactly right. That'll trickle down very quickly to the owner-operators because it'll drive freight rates up. Yeah, and, and the other thing you have to understand is we could even get some of the mechanics into this because, you know it or not, a lot of these trucking companies don't pay their mechanics a big wage because if you're involved in any end of the safety part of it, which means the repair of the truck, you're also exempt mm-hmm. from overtime. I yeah, know, I read that. Not transportation company. Yeah, you work for a transportation company. You're in transportation, yeah. so you're exempted. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's. And there, have you spoken to any congressmen? Have overcome this. There, there are a couple states that have overcome this on a local jurisdiction for intrastate, but not interstate. Have and, you uh, spoken to any congressmen about this? I have sent letters. I've sent emails. I've sent faxes. I don't get much response. Uh, well, I'm going to tell you something, and tell me if I'm wrong now. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say that that I'm uh, a Republican and I'm pretty conservative. However, I would say with this that you'd probably have a lot better chance with the Democrats. This is, sounds like something that one of them would jump on. Joe, wasn't, am I right? Wasn't there a senator? Wasn't there a senator there in Oregon? I yes. Edited, oh, I, I forgot his name. D something or other, he's really honest. Yeah, the, 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 the fail or something there? like that. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah and he and I, was I, I, all uh, for that detention pay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, he was, uh, in fact, he drove truck part of the time. DeFazio, I think that's his name. Yeah, DeFazio. DeFazio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and now we don't hear anything. No, we don't. And, and I, I don't know, it just... <laughs> We won't go into politics on that, but it's really hard to get these people to open up to anything that is going to change the economic status of of not just this industry, but everything. Because if you change what these freight rates are, you're going to change the economy. Right. And that's what they're trying not to do, keep the rates down. And the only way you can keep them down is to keep wages down. Right. Right. So, you know, all this smoke and mirrors, as you call it, you know, with the shortage and, you know, the qualified thing and uh, it's just a... It gets into that. It gets, this is the other part of your open forum, of course, but that gets into the other axle and the 91,000 pounds. Which which is another nightmare. Yeah, because... 
now you've got unqualified drivers running 80,000-pound trucks, and you're going to put unqualified drivers in 91,000-pound trucks? You make sense. Well, yeah, that's what I was about to bring up to talk about. You know, Don, it's always about safety. So where where is the safety in raising it to 91,000 pounds and putting an un- unexperienced 19-and-a-half-year-old in there? It's cr- That's what well, I mean. It's that crazy. Gets crazy. That gets it crazy is. because and set aside my arguments of the infrastructure damage from a 91,000-pound rule. Uh, just think about the idea that these guys don't understand that a truck tire is not designed to exceed 72 miles an hour in the first place. And right. they got them running 80 with 80,000 pounds, and they're going to do it with 91. Well, that'll change soon with the speed limiter, uh, even though it hasn't been brought up. It, um, there's no proposed rule yet, I don't believe. Is there a proposed rule? I don't think so. No, there's a study. Speed limiters, no. proposed rule yet. No, not yet. Okay. But, uh, I, I know, Pat. This is why I say, this is going to go to a crisis. We need to be prepared for when the crisis hit, when all this comes apart, and it will. It can't go on like this. Oh, no, it can't. No, it's going to come to a crisis. How it's going to happen, how it will manifest itself, I'm not sure. But it cannot sustain itself forever. They're not going to get people. We need to be ready to take the driver's seat when the crisis hits. I was late getting into the show. I was outside the truck talking to another driver for the first half hour the show was going on. Talking about everything we're discussing right now. Yes. Owner-operator. Owner-operator. And I'm pointing at the at the company trucks saying, we've got to get them on our side. We've got to work with these new drivers coming in. Because the more I talked to him, the more it made sense to him that what I was telling him was true and correct. Like it or not, the regulations mean that we need to get paid more for doing less. We didn't ask we, for it. This is what they, they're they putting down on. This is what they're shoving down our throats in the name of safety. Okay, ELDs, females, everything. Means and we're still not skilled labor. I right? have no problem being non-skilled labor. It doesn't hurt my feelings at all. Being as long as you're paid. Labor doesn't mean... Go ahead, Pat. Because you're called unskilled labor, the wages going to stay down. Well, you know what? Call me skilled labor, and you don't have to pay me any more than you're paying me now. There's no law that says you've got to pay me anything more than minimum wage. The only way you can Yeah. Okay, I'm a skilled truck driver making less than minimum wage today, or I'm an unskilled truck driver making less than minimum wage today. I'm still making less than minimum wage. True. The only standard I know we got to work off of. Minimum wage. Well, well, you know, I I speak to um, uh, drivers, and a lot of people are thinking they're making great rates. They're getting paid forty-five cents a mile, and I think to myself, well, that I mean, if you're running, let's say twenty-five hundred miles a week at 45 cents. What is that, about $900? No, it's about 1100 I laid the math out um, to you earlier, Donna. $1,208, $18. Dollars. 
divided by 3,000 miles is 40 and a half cents a mile. $1,218 is the equivalent of $7.25 an hour times 24 hours times seven days. 168 hours times $7.25, $1,218. Divide that by Mm -hmm. 3,000 miles, 40 and a half cents. I would therefore say if you're not guaranteed 3,000 miles a week, at least being paid 40 and a half cents a mile, you're not even making minimum wage. You can talk this garbage all you want. I make 30 cents a mile. I drive 60 miles an hour. I'm making $18 an hour. P.S. You're dreaming. Really? You know? You're dreaming. Well, the, the bottom line is rates haven't, haven't gone up. The, the driver wages haven't gone up. And now, because of CSA, and I do believe it's CSA, that they there they there is a uh, a quality versus quantity assessment that the carriers are looking at only because it's going to affect them and their public scores with that they're trying to have you know removed um right now from FMCSA so unless exactly. unless wages go up to attract a new generation Alan you had an article called something in the generation gap what was that minimum number that you wrote in there? Was it seventy cents a mile it would have to go up to? Oh, I don't remember. I'd have to look it up again. I wrote it. I've written so many things, but I, I don't remember. I don't have it here. In I front think of it me. was. I think it. I think if I remember correctly, it was seventy cents a mile. For what? For the for what the rate the wages would have to be now. The yeah, oh. oh, Jerry says eighty three cents. Well, uh, actually, I have actually I have those numbers. Okay, let's look at it this way: for a truck driver to have the same standard of living, okay, which represents wages, thirty-two and a quarter cents a mile in nineteen eighty-two would be eighty something cents a mile today. Yeah. And driver pay, you got Stevens Transport out here. Paying their lease operators eighty-eight cents a mile, own and operate the truck and pay themselves. How crazy! I don't is that? know how they do it. How do they do it? I don't know. But by the way, I've talked to some there. They swear up and down. They're convinced that they're making seventy thousand dollars a year. Yeah, right. Actually, but this is how far. Really... This is how. This is how far off. I ran a number here before the show tonight, and I forget what the hourly rate was I used. And I'm thinking it was thirty-four dollars an hour. That's what thirteen fifteen an hour. In 1982, when you run it through the CPI inflation calculator, should be right in around $33, $34 an hour today. If you're working local and get paid, no, in fact, I took it at 20 something dollars now, $26 an hour. One shows 26 That would be $880 for 40 hours. Then if you put in 30 hours at time and a half, the time and a half of whatever number I'd use would be another $990. So working by the hour, 70 hours a week with time and a half, like Joe was talking about, FSLA, would be 1800 and something dollars a week times 52 would be 99200 and something dollars a year. And that's just to get comparative pay. Yeah, and by the way, we know this. And that generation 
There was no driver shortage. There was hardly any truck driver training school. There was there was no all these hiring problems. We only had in the summer of 1984 when we were enjoying that standard of living. By the way, industry could afford it. Isn't that interesting? We had no driver shortage. Take the Wall Street Journal today, black out a lot of names, and go back to the summer of 1980 and black out a lot of names. Nothing's really changed. Just because freight rates went down, the whole of Wall Street is not more profitable than it was in 1980. Well, understand this. In 1974, I was getting 30 cents a mile. There's some out here today that don't even get 30 cents a mile. What is the problem there? We're talking. So they want people. So who in their right mind would come in this industry? Yeah, watch these numbers. 1978, I'm paying $4. The reason I remember this is strange, but we went from dry clean uh-huh. uniforms because the dry clean was, we went back to wear jeans. At a feed store up in Milton, Pennsylvania, is where I used to get my blue jeans. I was paying $4 and something cents for a pair of blue jeans, earning uh, 23 cents a mile. I come to Memphis, I go across the river to the old Midcock and Truck Stop, and I'm paying a higher price. I like the cowboy cut jeans. I'm a big guy. I'm paying $7 for blue jeans and earning $54,000 a year. My wife and I budget. She's paying a dollar a pound for uh, round chuck. She's paying 80 cents a pound for chicken. We're paying $90,000 for a house. Nowadays, the drivers are paying $30 for the same jeans, earning 30 cents or less. They're paying $4 a pound for ground round, $3 a pound for chicken. The truck stops. Joe will tell you. We were paying three three dollars and fifty cents for a hamburger steak dinner at the seventy six truck stop in Reading, Pennsylvania, in the nineteen late seventies, early eighties. The drivers are now paying twelve dollars for that same dinner and earning the same money. It's not possible. So the drivers gave up all these wages because unions were accused of upping inflation. Okay, so all that went by the wayside. We're settling for 1980 wages, and we're paying 2015 prices. Where did the money go, folks? Right. We gave up all these incoming trucking, and we're paying $30 for the same pair of jeans and earning the same money we are earning in 1980. If trucking is so important and freight rates are so important, how can that happen? That's a really good question well, because everybody else in the trucking industry has gotten their raise. The fuel stops. The truck manufacturer, the trailer manufacturer, and the, the truck brokers, everybody's got yeah. to raise except the driver. Yeah, they were able to maintain the inflationary level at least. Well, they, you know what, you want to laugh, everybody? Yeah, go ahead. What you, they said in that report um, that. And tell me if I'm wrong. I don't know if you have it in front of you or not. I, I don't have it in front of me right now. But that as a solution, trucking companies are giving significant raises, and they're calling a 10 to 15% raise significant. Well, what is that? Like four cents a mile? Five cents a mile? Yeah. That's not significant. And we're missing- Where is the significance? We're missing fifty to sixty thousand dollars a year in wages, folks. And you're going to give us a two thousand dollar raise? That's what I mean. I mean they and they 
do they don't really believe this, do they? This this must be part of that smoke and mirrors, like to look to almost it almost looks like they're the victim. Does everybody agree with me on that? that well, that, yeah, that's the way they projected it for years. They're the victim. Are, are you all familiar with false journal articles that came out this week? Um, Which article? That the Wall Street Journal um, projecting that drivers should average $56,940 for the year of 2015. They're saying that's a 17% pay increase, Okay. There's another article that I was trying to bring up a minute ago. Came out heavy duty trucking. It's got a pretty uh-huh. nice graph on the front. I'm just going carriers. It says uh, large carriers revenue per driver. Large carriers two hundred thirty five thousand six hundred and five dollars um, per unit per driver. That's at an average of two dollars and twenty eight cents a mile to the truck. Now, actually, just let it be let it be from a week ago or something. Um, their, their APA members are averaging dollar seven to operate a truck. So let's do the math. This makes sense to what they're earning. It's costing them run the truck, and that is hey Pat, Pat, you're breaking up. Okay. Yeah, try to get in position. Yeah, but that leaves 50 cents a mile, you know, uh, in profit for the large carriers. Now, the large carriers, they're the ones that pay the least. They're the ones that enjoy benefits like being able to be self-insured and whatnot. Um, There's a lot of stuff going on, and it all interacts and works together. It's hard for us drivers to be on top of it all but we need to be talking about it amongst ourselves. That's the only tool we've got here. We were talking about the uh, uh, Drivers Association that they're dead set on fighting ELDs instead of coming up with a contingency plan. What if we lose the ELD fight, people? What are we going to do now? We did. We did lose it. Exactly. Exactly. Even if we didn't lose it, we can't win it. Look what the DOT has been doing for the last 20 years. They've been coercing the small carrier into putting e-logs or whatnot in their trucks. They've got that down now. If this law doesn't come to pass, they are going to pull every truck that does not have an ELD in it, they're going to pull them around back and harass the heck out of them until those drivers get in and get one. They beat us on this. All we can do now is make the darn things work for us. That's a right. time clock that's in the truck. That's a, a It's a management tool. They can't say I'm goofing off. I'm exactly where they told me to be. They told me to go over there and sit for a day and a half till I can get loaded. I'm doing exactly what I've been told to do. Now pay me. Exactly. <laughs> We've got to make these things work for us. Yeah. <clears throat> And that's the that's the idea of being paid for all time. I mean, that's right. why do why do drivers mark down? Uh, what is that line, Alan? I get confused all the time that they'll say they're not working and they, they really are working. They should be on duty, not driving. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and and you do it to yourself. Uh-uh. Yeah. We're, so you're really. Way, Alan, I'd like to throw this in. You know what we truck drivers have become. 
I listen to it in serious radio even. We become willing victims. We're willing Actually, you're, to you're victimize ourselves to generate a paycheck. We're willing victims. How foolish is that? Well, it's like they're you begging drivers, to work harder. You hear drivers all the time defending. When I come on or JoJo come on serious radio and talk about logging all time, they want to, oh, no, no, when I get to the dock, I go to sleep or birth. I go to bed. Who's kidding who? Nobody going to bed, not with a 7,000-pound forklift dropping 2,000-pound pallets in the trailer. That isn't happening. A flatbed <laughs> operator's got to tarp the load isn't in his bunk when they're loading a load and all that kind of stuff. But they'll come right. on there and defend that. First of all, they can't believe that there would ever be a time that they could get paid for that time. So that's why they cross that other line. When we cross that other line, we become willing victims. We're willing to let American industry victimize us and defend, and defend the other side, defend the adversary. It's crazy. So well, do, yeah, does, everybody, does everybody think that, I mean, okay, First of all, you know, I don't believe there's a shortage, not with all these drivers who just aren't getting hired, but they're, you know, they don't meet the individual carrier criteria. But if there is a driver shortage and people aren't coming into the industry and people retiring, and by the way, this isn't just because of of, uh, age they're retiring, they're choosing to retire because they don't want to deal with it anymore, and plus their health is bad, and that's a whole other story about the lifestyle that has led up to poor health. So, but if if they don't get enough people coming in, um, and I know that the 19-year-old thing is that last desperate attempt to to get a a, a, a demographic in, you know, a, desperate for a job or something. I don't know. But if that doesn't happen, what is going to happen uh, to trucking? Uh, are they going to get veterans? No, there's there's going to be a crisis. And first of all, I agree with it. And on said, uh, Joe will come in here in this. I know he will. First of all, if we have a driver shortage, how come all the freight? And I agree with about 50-50, Kevin Rutherford, by the way. And when they had that symposium up here in Nashville on Sirius Radio, he kept saying, yeah. well, there's a driver shortage. How come all the freight is still moving? We have not right. yet come close, even last summer. When I saw the freight rates, I, I worked in Northwest, the Intermountain West, basically. We were seeing freight rates double throughout the Northwest. C.H. Robinson was paying seven of us $1,500 a deadhead out of Longmont to Salt Lake City. But guess what? The freight still got moved. My so how can we have a driver shortage when all the freight is still moving? Yeah. My last construction job, walked down. 65 carpenters, 65 carpenters. Before I was finished, I was down to a 24-man crew. We got more work done with 24 men than anybody else could even think about. I walked away from the job. won't go into details. They then put on, and my crew did not work late at night. They did not work weekends. We were just badass, excuse my friends. When I left that job, they had a hundred men on the job working weekends, working twelve hour days. They could not get half the work done that I was getting done with my twenty four man crew. So 
driver shortage or is it bad management? Do they require all these trucks out there because they're doing such a bad job managing the trucks they have? Now, think about this. If those drivers were paid for every minute they were stationed to that truck, something would have to give now, wouldn't it? Do you think the logistics mm-hmm. would still be as sloppy as they are today? Hell no. You know, right? you, you can do 70 hours in an eight-day period. If that's what the driver is selling the company, I'm going to give you eight days in which you can have 70 hours of my time, okay, to do your work for you. You're going to pay me for eight days. I'm going to give you up to 70 hours. I can work over 70 hours, but it's going to cost you, all right? Now they have to manage their crew. Now they have to manage their resources. Right now, what are they doing? Oh, we got trucks at a good price, so we bought an extra 50 of them. Now, we can, well, now we're short drivers. We need 50 drivers to put in those 50 trucks. You see what I mean? <laughs> it ain't costing them nothing to have eight, nine, ten trucks in Dallas ready to go when that broker, Hi. that broker load goes up. Mm-hmm. Well, how, can I read I something? Here a while back. I did a study here a while back, back several years ago, Don. It's way too many pages long. But it had to do with the uh, what uh, Truckload Carriers Association back in that study where they showed the average driver is at the docks about 40 hours a week, 160 mm-hmm. hours a month. So I took that times 1.75 million drivers, the truckload business, and that's 120 hours a week of wasted time, extrapolated it out, this, that, and the other thing. And only when we start finding the shippers and consignees for poor asset utilization of our equipment and turn it, when we get up to $100 an hour, they'll get that truck unloaded in 15 minutes. But see, every one of the trucks is delayed unnecessarily in the loading and unloading process deprives the marketplace of capacity that day. When I took that 120 hours a week times 1.75 billion drivers a year, figured it all out, actually we got 23% too many trucks in the marketplace if the trucks have 100% utilization. That includes taking away the dock time. If you took that 120 hours a month times 1.7 million drivers, look how many hours a month in a year is depriving the capacity. See, when I unload my truck, when Joe unloads, uh, JoJo unloads, the truck gets turned to capacity. It's available that day. It's no longer short. If all this stock time was converted to availability time, you, in fact, the matter is, according to my numbers, you got 23% too many trucks in the marketplace. And you know what that right. goes to prove to? Ask most truckload drivers why they're quitting the jobs. They say because they can't get enough miles. Right, right. And that's where now, if... The miles? Um, the miles are out there at the loading dock. Well, and, and, and I've said for money. years, it ain't the miles, it's the revenue. Yeah, yeah. miles it, equals money. miles and certain down revenue. Yeah, but I mean, as far it's, as capacity goes, for every truck that you delay in the unloading and loading process for every hour, that's one hour less that one piece of equipment is available to the marketplace times 1.75 million. 
listen, I want to just read something. You know, the, the the most recent article on Ask the Trucker right now is, is what we're pretty much discussing tonight. It's called Defining the Truck Driver Shortage and the Qualified Driver. And um, it's been passed around Facebook and social media um, hundreds of times now, and, and this is the discussion. But someone made a comment, uh, a dispatcher for one of the mega carriers, and and I want to read it to everybody. And it says, now that I have been working in the office, I have a much better idea of what causes drivers to quit. If an OTR driver is only getting 1,800 miles a week, he's going to be very unhappy. If he spends all his time searching for trailers and not running miles, he's going to be unhappy. If he's laid over or broken down and given $50 a day, he's going to be very unhappy. If a driver is sent a pre-plan and given only minutes to respond before it's taken away, the driver will be unhappy. If the driver calls and is transferred around, put on hold for an hour, or never gets through to a live person, the driver will be unhappy. If Qualcomm messages go unanswered, the driver's going to be unhappy. And if the office staff is unresponsive, a driver will be unhappy. On the other hand, if the driver has unrealistic expectations about what the industry is really like, they will be unhappy. And that's one of the things, unrealistic expectations. But this is somebody who didn't have a clue. And then once he started really, um, I guess he was in dispatch, uh, hearing all that was going on, then all of a sudden he realized, you know, this is what's going on. And now, what and do you, you have know, to say Don, about all on, on his side, where he's saying in the beginning, the driver will be unhappy about this and this and this, because of how he's being ignored, misplaced, and screwed around and moved around. If he was on the clock for $34 an hour, mm-hmm. some CFO someplace would be wringing somebody's neck wanting to know, why do we have a 1,000 hours of pay this month? For drivers can't get in communication answered, can't get their load orders through. And let me. There was an interesting article the other day I read in Supply Chain magazine. I even read those, and actually, it was exhorting Celadon. I didn't think I had much respect. Watch this with Celadon. And in one part of the magazine where they really blew up the publication, they wanted that to be seen. Before this new management team was created at Celadon. They said they laid over an average of 300 drivers a day without loads. Now that they'd had this new management team in there and more technology and this, that, and the other thing, it's only three drivers a day laid over now. Right. Asset human resource and asset utilization. Same company with an average of 300 trucks a day with no loads to three trucks a day. Wow. Well, and there you go. So pay the drivers more, manage your company better, and uh, don't create, you know, this victim. You know what? I I don't understand this. One of the reasons the causes they give for a driver shortage, and tell me if anybody understands this, it says 
uh, female drivers, females make up 40% of all workers, yet only 6% of truck drivers. They're calling, saying that not enough females is reason for a driver shortage? I mean, I don't get it. Does anybody understand well, that? Just because women are smart enough to stay out of the industry. Well, <laughs> you know, Alan, you're, you're right. No, no, women, women are smarter than men in that. Men will allow themselves, women to walk away from stuff like this. Absolutely. And I'll tell you another yeah, one that does. The minorities, the minorities won't put up with this stuff. It's just a white right. guy somehow walk with it. Yeah, they'll walk away from stuff like this. No, a woman's smarter than a man in a lot of ways. That's why they won't put up with their stuff. And, and it, it goes well, back to, to your being a willing participant. And and I see that as an owner-operator. I see that with guys taking loads. And I say, what are you doing taking that load? You're asking for it. No wonder you're not making any money. Well, well, really well they think they are. Yeah, and then they go down a road and cry about the load isn't paid enough. Well, yeah, and, and then if they're the same guy that if you sit them down at the, at the coffee bar and say, okay, how much is it a mile for tires? How much is it a mile for your oil changes every year? And they haven't got the foggiest notion what it takes around that. Well, the, because they're not figuring as business, you know. I mean, uh, no, they're, I, that's they're what not, I mean. I don't know how they make it in life. You can't run on cash flow. you got to run on profit. And you know, one uh, I'm mentoring a guy right now. I'm trying to get him swung around. I think he's kind of new in the business. Fifty-two he has a lot of potential. Is, isn't he falling into a trap? The other day, he calls me. He wants to put fire trucks on and set everything. He's after fuel and making this much money. I says, "Oh, don't go there." I says, "There's so much more than fuel. Throw another thousand dollars a week in there for overhead." Oh, you think oh, that wow. much? I, says, I know that much. Yeah, he's premising on growing himself a fleet now on how much he's got left after fuel. Oh, no. Joe, I know you've heard that many times over the years. Oh, yeah. That's how they measure their success, how much they have yeah. left after fuel. Wow. And some of them measure their success by how much they've got on their in their pocket at the end of the week. Mm-hmm. And they don't realize mm-hmm. that they haven't even paid all the bills yet. Right, right, and that's just management, poor management. They don't understand the industry. Alan, you came into the business in 86, so I think you'll see these numbers. Watch what's missing out of owner-operators now if you want to go there. 1984, MS carriers here in Memphis and a few carriers started paying a flat rate per mile. Landstar tried it for a while, and I thought, that's something new, I'll try it too. 80 cents a mile, loaded and empty, plus fuel surcharge. You take 80 cents a mile in 1984, somebody ran it through the CPI inflation calculator, and it'll be about a dollar eighty today plus fuel surcharge. To have the same standard of living, the same measure of money, right? Most of the carriers paying by the mile today are somewhere between 91 and 95 cents a mile. So that says to me, the guys running for 91, 94, 95 cents a mile, there's $90,000 a year missing out of their settlements on only 100,000 mile a year. Where did that 90,000? So if you run 120,000, it's going to be for the same work, same truck, there's $110,000 missing out of driver settlements today working by the mile for owner operators. Where did the money go? Wow. 
It, well, you, well, you know what? I mean, we're we're going to be having a guest on the show, and and this is a little off off beat off the track here, but and they're going to talk to owner operators about getting um, uh, insurance. Okay, and their point is that sixty six percent of owner operators can get significant subsidies based on their um, income. Well, what does that tell you? That's a very high percentage of people who are going to get, they're not making enough money and they can be subsidized for their health care. And although that's that's sad, I mean, they should be taking advantage of that because we're strong supporters that everybody needs to have insurance. Mm -hmm. But what that says is that they're not making enough money to to really, well, you know. Look get at ahead. the current issue of Overdrive magazine. It's on the computer all week long, and I think CCJ, where they're showing in California, the average owner operator made fifty nine thousand dollars net last year, and the average company driver made forty two. We're talking California. Uh-huh. in California is only $45,000 someplace else. But right there is industry's own recent numbers. If we want numbers to play with and throw in somebody's face, right there it is. Living in California making $42,000 a year as a company driver. Now, $42,000 a year in Gallup, New Mexico may be a good paycheck. Right. No, you're you're getting your road extensions out of that check. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. 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 Uh, Forty two thousand so dollars a year is, is only thirty three. Yeah. Yeah. Hey pa- hey hey Pat, is that you? Are you back with us? Yes, I am. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I saw you drop Hello off, now. but I thought I thought that was you. But yeah, your mic's back open. Yeah, I had to go grab my other phone. <laughs> oh, okay. And by the way, folks, these are current numbers. That was published in the magazines so and the in the internet this week. Yeah, I saw part of that. I didn't get to read through it, but I, I just... And go back to the chart that Pat has in the truck with him, showing a truckload driver in a year 2000 was making forty forty one thousand dollars $41,000 a year. Yeah. It hasn't changed in 15 years. Yeah. How much is so the cost it... of living going up in 15 years? So what do you talk, what do you say about this ATA prediction? According to analysis, if the current trend holds, the shortage may balloon to almost 175,000 by 2024. What do, what do you say to that? I believe eventually there really is going to be a valid driver shortage, and that's when the crisis thing starts. Because okay. see the way the industry. I did an article that. There's a lady PhD that works at uh, Transport Topics. I've been published twice there. And I said at the truck show that she really liked this concept. And I've worked with unemployment people. I was employed people. I was retired. I'm a career networking type of thing. So I understand a lot of this. What what the trucking industry has done, and it's compounding itself, therefore it's growing larger faster, they poison their own labor pool. When I was in management at Dallas Mavis for a year, so I saw what that Paul saw that you were talking about before, what's happening inside. So I used to tell him, listen, when a driver quits here, he doesn't just vaporize. He doesn't just turn to dust. 
he goes over to the Petro's truck stop and starts telling everybody what a miserable experience he had at Dallas Mavis. Well, this is happening generally in the trucking business for a long time. When people come into this, according to the Great Plains study that the Truck Home Carriers Association published, I don't make up any numbers, I only use documented numbers, the average driver's in and out of this business in 3.2 years. Well, in 3.2 years, he doesn't cease to exist anymore. He goes back home to his mm-hmm. blue-collar community, to his church, to his uh, whatever association or clubs or whatever, or the factory he goes back to work for. And what do you think he and other drivers have run across this? I've run into uh, break rooms at warehouses. All the guys that wouldn't mm-hmm. load and unload trucks before are now in warehouses loading and unloading trucks. You can get two or three of them at a table, and they'll all start telling Finn they, they actually try to outdo each other on outrageous, terrible stories that they had in trucking. Well, guess what? For two or three tables around, others are hearing this too. See, mm-hmm. a friend of mine used to be a regional mayor for hospital drug. His father was a PIE driver right here in Memphis. My oh. wife was his assistant. On the, on the wall behind his desk, he had a sign. A satisfied customer will share their satisfaction with four other people. A dissatisfied customer will share their dissatisfaction with 11 other people. Right, and that's, well, that's, that's a, a fact. With, yeah. That's right. So if you look at this at the top of the pyramid, this is where we're sitting now, and the triangle is getting deeper and wider. The trucking industry is poisoned the labor pool it hires from. So that tells you eventually we've got to reach a crunch point. Right. And and listen, social media has played a huge part in this because years ago people going into the industry would read the ads, you know, make $100,000 being a truck driver. I mean, you know, um, and people would get into the industry to find out, well, we meant, you know, five year, years from now you can be an owner-operator. You know what I mean? It, it was just all mm-hmm. all lies. But now with social media, things like Facebook, um, people people know what's going on in the industry. You know, they it's, it's not a secret anymore. You can't fool them. Years ago, it was unless you went on a trucking forum, you know, you wouldn't know anything. And now right. uh, it's poison, not just like I'm sure you're right too, Jerry, about, you know, people talk and they hear it and they say, well, I'm just going to stay away from that. But now it's all over social media. Pat will tell you that I, I, I feel, I predict there will be a crisis. I'm just not crazy enough to tell you what day, what year, what month. But when you measure all this, it can't not have a crisis. Pat will tell you, I don't know the first thing about any of the social media. I wish I did. I turn on Facebook and I just sit there and look at it. I don't know what to do next. But when the final revolt comes, there is going to be a catastrophic event or a series of events that's going to provoke enough drivers to rebel. And based on what happened in Liberia and some of the African countries over there that threw out kingdoms, that it governed them for hundreds or thousands of years. It was all done by social media. I lived through the trucker strikes in the late 60s. That was all done on telephones, making collect calls. It's hard to do, but they still did it. For a short period of time, they still did it. 
They still got the court proved that they were not independent contractors. They were de facto employees. They did win. Now, with the communications and social media that I'm not even intimately aware of, this is how it's going to occur. We needed a catastrophe, an event, some type of kickoff thing, and then based on history. With the coal miners, it was John L. Lewis. With the auto workers, it was, uh, well, forget his name. With the Teamsters, it was Jimmy Hoffa. With the black peoples, it was Martin Luther King. Somewhere in this crisis or series of event or catastrophic event, it's going to produce a charismatic leader. He doesn't even know who he is today. But somehow or rather, all this will form enough. Nature corrects its own always. But it's usually always through crisis or catastrophes. It'll be by the way of social media. That's what I say. All of our ideas, none of us are powerful enough in any single groups, even if we put them in to make it happen today. You almost have to let nature take its work. But my position is we need to be prepared that when the driver's seat blows up in transportation, that we're there to take the wheel. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I don't doubt it. All it would take is a savvy hashtag <laughs> on Twitter to get something like know. that. Uh, yeah, something like that rolling. I believe that's how it's going to happen, based on government's being overthrown. They're not even trying to well, I think it's, it's trying to overthrow an industry. It's it's you know trying to create awareness to the general public uh, because they don't have it. I mean, I know there's this new movement called. Um, Trucking move move America forward. Trucking moves America forward, or something like that. Yeah, and it's to create a positive, huh? Yeah, that's the APA. ACA, right. TCA, the yeah. Alliance, Alliance yeah. in on it. But know, uh, truthfully, yeah. truthfully, I don't know what its purpose is. Does anybody know it's what that purpose is? Yeah, it's to deceive the American public in the to make this look great again. You know, we need, you know, they're trying to create a new image. All we have to do is go back and restore. The first thing to do is restore and get truckload management the hell out of the way. Get some of the trucking press out of the way, by the way. And, uh, uh, you know, some of the ones that are supposedly speaking for drivers that actually can only speak a certain amount because they get so much advertising from the OEMs. There's another story that I'm hot about right away. You talk about North Republic. I've got a 2015 cascade. I'm forcing them. I've got a lawsuit against Daimler Benz right now because there's devices on this truck that takes control away from me, and I'm losing my brakes coming off the home mountain at 8 o'clock in the morning and about to wipe out people in Riverside because I can't get control of the truck back. When I explain this to people, they stand there horrified. Yeah, they're watching the TV saying, Oh, we've heard about the automated truck. As you weren't hearing the real stories, they're setting the brakes up on the drivers right in the middle of nowhere. The driver should never have to give up control of the truck. In fact, legally, and I want to get on this, but you talk about going to the public. When you go out to the public individually, get two or three people together and start telling them the real truth, truckers need a voice now. We've got industry. We've got government covering up. It's somehow or another. From somewhere down below, somehow, it's going to be something's going to happen. And that's when we need to really let go of this voice. 
that it's going to be hard because where does the press derive their advertising revenue from? Big business. The truck magazines, where do they derive their advertising revenue from? The truck manufacturers and the truck companies. They can only afford, I won't say which one it was, I nailed one one day. I like the guy, really. And I says, in other words, you're telling me you can only afford to you can only afford to print a certain amount of the truth. And he stood there and looked at me mm-hmm. and said, I got to stay in business. I said, Well, you're not helping me much. Right, right. And that's why nobody can afford um, to tell the truth. That's why when we when we, we have and we're very proud of our partners with um the Truth About Trucking Network because they have to, you know, meet criteria to be partners in the industry. So you should have been um, with I me did. in the Detroit trailer down at the truck. You're at the truck show, right? You should have yeah. been with me over at Detroit in the trailer. They closed the door from the other side. A well-known friend of mine was even in there. He got his tail and chewed out, too. They had executives in there. I've got major problems with this automated transmission thing, taking control away from me, coming off long mountain passes. Dangerous, by the way. And I'm documenting, putting it in writing. And Matt, one of the techno cats that they sent over here from North Carolina, said to one of the executives, watch what you say, this is a legal problem. And I put my finger right in Matt's face and says, you better believe it's a legal problem. None of you have to say a word. I said, Charles, you stand there and you keep your mouth shut. He was some kind of executive. You don't have to say a thing. Henry, you don't have to say a thing either because I'm the only one here who can afford to tell the truth. You've got a paycheck, you've got a paycheck. Henry, you've got a deal going too. All of you have to stand here and back a lie. You know there's a lot of trouble in this thing, but none of you can afford to tell the truth. I'm the only one that can afford to tell you the truth, and you call me a troublemaker. Well, I'm, I'm hey, certain. The Detroit trailer. I chewed him out. Well, I know that's that's one of the ones Alan's always supported. Detroit. Yeah, let, go ahead, Pat. I was going to say, how many drivers don't have the experience to know that what this automatic truck is doing, it should not be doing. How many accidents have been caused by this? And and an inexperienced driver gets fired, loses his job. You see what I'm saying? They don't know how the truck is supposed to behave, but it acted on its own, and I'm in an accident, and it must be my fault because I'm the driver, and now I'm out of a job. This is like computer with, stuff. If you were with me coming off the home down that morning, and I've come down that mountain for decades now, never come close to losing control. I lose the engine brake. I can't see anything under scan. Number th- level three engine braking is not working, and they can't tell me why yet today. Finally, I got it up in the econ out of perform, out of manual mode, and even in manual, I got to hit it three or four times to get it in manual. I didn't have to do the, the hunk of crap over my own. You put it in manual, it was there. And then they say, now, me, what well, was the problem? I'm coming off Cajon Mountain, 80,000 pounds. Get down after the scales and go across that level stretch, down the next stretch there. Had the engine brake on, everything to be soon seemed to be doing good. Next thing I know, I've got no engine brake. I'm speeding up. I can't get the engine brakes back. I'm taking a lever, jamming it up and down, jamming it up and down, trying to do whatever I could do to get engine brake back because I'm running about 50 miles an hour now with 80,000 pounds and coming in to stop traffic. Finally, it goes into econ mode, gives me a darn good engine brake. So I'm beginning to, this business about it taking control of the drivers. In fact, Detroit's in there saying, we will safely take control of the driver. There is no such thing as safely taking control of the driver, away from the driver. 
because it can't see what I see. They know this. And I've, that's been a- writing, I've been writing up every one of these incidents I've been having. It's called a National Transportation Safety Board. And Larry Long at National Transportation Safety Board is telling me he's hearing from others. For instance, for some reason, the engine brake won't work if, you, if you've got your foot on the foot brake. Linda Caffey called Henry Albert the night that their truck was due. They're coming off Baker Mountain. She can't get the engine brake to work. It took the two of them to figure it out. The engine brake doesn't work if you got your foot on the foot brake. What's wrong with that problem? But don't we I don't know. So, right here? Pardon? Does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah, it's scary. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah. yeah, and I just had it in the shop. Get this. If you got it set on cruise control, let's say this pulled me out in the middle of an intersection up in Wyoming. Got it set on 75 mile an hour. Runs 75 mile an hour. I know I'm going to get off this rest area. Always do. Start with the engine breaks down and this and the other. Get down to the ramp of God. The camper pulled out of the way of the clock. So I get just about the bottom, doing like I've been doing for years. Going to flip the engine brake off and go to the foot brake, right? Bring myself to stop. Car truck speeds up and pulls me out in the middle of the interchange. They have this thing set up so that when you when you pull down on the lever to go to engine brake, it does not cancel the cruise control. That's plain simple. Oh, my. Oh, yeah. If you see traffic slowing down in front of you and you bring it down, let's say you meet traffic at 40 miles an hour, okay. Now it'll go back to the the fuel, whatever. The minute you let off the engine brake, it reaccelerates back to the preset speed. Wow. And when I asked Matt and Jason Riggs, why in the world would you even want that? What's wrong with just hitting resume? And they looked at me and said, trucking management wants it that way. They do not want the driver to do the resume thing because they feel he will waste too much fuel. Now, after five months of fighting, I just had him take that off the truck. Wow, Alan, do you know what they're talking about? Because I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm. Yeah, I mean, I've never driven one, but I, I mean, I, I know I hear about them, and you know, kind of hearing kind of yeah. the same thing. So it's uh, yep. all all in the name of safety, Jerry. <laughs> yeah, and the right. thing is, they can't afford. I understand this. They all got paychecks. There was nobody there that day when I confronted them. They could cross the line and say, you know something, Jerry's right on this. Because they all got paychecks. They all have jobs. Daimler-Benz has a position. They've got a big commitment on this. The, even our consumer advocates are a little smart group there and everything. They aren't going to step over the line because they got a deal going. Nobody can afford to tell the truth. And that's basically what's happening all along. Because of the advertisers and the big business above us, nobody can nobody can afford to hear the truth. So they try to keep the references squashed. It's never happened in history. It always explodes. Look's what look what yeah. happened at Volkswagen. Yeah. Well well getting back to the wage thing here. Okay, yeah. so uh Sorry, what's the what's the solution? Here let me just wrap up this. I okay. I want to read to you what the ATA's solutions are. They say driver pay, but they call 10 to 15% significant raise, which is not true. They do say more at home time. Uh, Lower the driving age. This is another solution. Now, um, 
hire more military, and better treatment by the supply chain, like the uh, shippers and receivers, and finally improve the driver image. And that's where they promote, you know, um, um, America Moves Trucking Forward or something, that campaign. And I'm trying to figure out how, yeah, driver image should be improved. But I guess what they're saying is if you improve the driver image, more people will want to get into trucking. I guess that's the theory, right? It's the exact opposite. Look at the term human capital. You go out here and start paying drivers guaranteeing them anywhere from 100 to $121,000 a year, guaranteeing to be home every two or three days. They'll only work 60 hours a week, give them good benefits, good retirement. You'd be surprised that people will take their suits and necks and neckties off and come back into trucking. Well, right. So it's all about money and benefits and a good living wage. You get what you pay for. And they will yeah. have a good driver image because they'll have more self-esteem. The driver will bring it with them, the human capital. Right. You'll, you'll be hiring from a different labor pool. Right. You won't be hiring from the guys who's three days at a drug rehabilitation center downtown. You won't be hiring street people. Right. Well, they there do put autonomous tr- trucks as a solution also, but they said they don't believe that's going to happen for a long, long time. Well, even auto- even autonomous trucks require a driver in the seat for when it breaks off of the chain or in right. the chain. And by so the way, the autonomous truck rapists have kind of ended up kind of on the edge of this. Picture this, folks. Freightliner comes, keeps coming in and, and watering down some of their statements. So now the statement is uh, they'll need the driver to wheel uh, he will be required to be paying attention, and at a, at a kind of like I'm paraphrasing now. On a moment's notice, he'll be expected to take the wheel when the computer can no longer drive a truck. Come on, there you go. It's four Bingo. o'clock in the morning. It's four o'clock in the morning, Joe. You've been at the wheel since seven o'clock last night, and there's not much going on, so you're going to sit there the whole time, right? Now picture this: the driver's sitting there with his hands just off the wheel still watching what the truck is doing. What human being can do that? That's impossible. Well, I think this is one of the reasons that it's going to be a long time because all these questions are going to be, you know, arise, and they're really going to have to uh, have strict... I mean, can you imagine all the safety groups with this? I mean, mean, the drivers complain about safety groups, but they're one of a driver's biggest advocate because they're looking out for them. If you if you know the safety advocacy groups are the ones calling for more higher wages. Does everybody realize you gotta that? Love, you gotta love Daphne Neiser. If the driver, they'd oh, only name that something other than than Parents Against Tired Truckers. If they had just named something, I've talked to her and her husband years ago. They were our biggest advocates at that time because right. somebody asked them to look into the driver pay. In fact, that was a Walmart truck. Right. Did that that night. And after that, Walmart completely redid their whole driver system. That's when drivers started getting paid to go to bunk. That's mm-hmm. why that's in there. That driver not mm-hmm. going to bunk. That's why they get paid for that. It was a Walmart truck. And uh, so they got to looking in it. They were horrified 
when they found out how drivers are being treated and paid. Right. They were after That's why I said. They, just, they came up with the wrong name. They were they they were the best thing that we had going back then to possibly make some difference. Well, just like you were saying, just like you were saying, it would take social media. I mean, you get a. Let me tell you something. These safety groups are relentless. Okay, you get a few of them on board with what's going on in the industry with all the smoke screens. I'm going to tell you something. You talk about making noise. These people know how to make noise. They are filled with passion. And you're not going to stop them. And I've always thought that the safety groups were uh, a trucker's biggest uh, ally. And I would be shocked when I would hear, you know, see drivers writing about the safety groups and they're trying to do this to them. And I couldn't understand why they felt that way. But it's because, in my mind, I think they had the idea of, well, they just want us to work. Um, they don't want. They're going to cut our hours, and we can't make money. That's not what they're saying. They're saying make the same amount of money, but don't work as hard. But it's a hard concept for drivers to understand. Well, it's a lot when you <clears throat> when you look in between the lines of of what a lot of those safety groups are, and it's like you said. I mean, they are in a lot of ways, advocates for drivers. You just got to learn to read between the lines. But, hey, our, our time is winding down. I've got to take a quick break. I've got like seven minutes, but we'll take a quick break and be back and uh, wrap up this broadcast. Be right back. Heads up, truckers. Are you looking for deals on trucks, trailers, parts, or equipment? Or maybe you need to sell something truck-related. Well, there's a great spot on the web where truckers deal with other truckers. No middlemen involved. That's why we call it TruckerToTrucker.com. There's no charge at all for looking. And if you want to place an ad for what you're selling, it's just $19.95. And it runs till it sells. So whether you're buying or selling, it's time to log on and take a look. TruckerToTrucker.com. Check it out. That's TruckerToTrucker.com. Hey everybody, Alan Smith here, and I want to tell you about TruckerLawyers.com. TruckerLawyers.com helps drivers with their legal needs, and they specialize in workers' compensation, trucking accidents, employment law, and other areas. TruckerLawyers.com arms you with important information regarding workers' compensation and your legal rights, and they are also available to help you find assistance for additional legal issues. This includes determining how to get you the best benefits possible for your situation. The website truckerlawyers.com is a resource where you can learn more about your legal rights as a driver. Feel free to continue the social media conversation by liking them on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash truckerlawyers and follow them on Twitter as at truckerlawyers. Call them to talk through your questions at 1-800-736-5503. good open forum a good conversation Donna did you have anything only got about a minute or so though Uh, no but I think I'd like to direct people tonight and everybody listening uh, over to North American uh, trucking alerts 
And if you would like to um, join there, it's free. If you're a driver, it's free. And uh, if you're a, a company, there is a, a, a fee, and we ask to support professional drivers. But drivers are free. And if you'd like to write, post your articles, it's all about improving the industry and the life of the professional driver, it's taking the problems and the solutions and moving forward with them with these ideas. So that's NorthAmericanTruckingAlerts.com. Again, uh, if you have a, a video that you want to just do a video and you know talk about these issues and post it to YouTube, we'll share that video on our trucking social media uh, website and put it out there all through Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Google, and everywhere. So if you have a message, just take your cell phone, you know, write yourself a few bullet points, do your script, and we'll get it out there. That's what Jerry was saying about social media. We get enough of these things going on with people saying the same thing and exposing the truth, and it will become available to the general public. Uh, Jerry, your your video is doing great. The one you did at Gats, we've been putting it out there. I don't know if you noticed it. Great video, lots of good information in it. And um, again, that's one way to get it out there, like you were saying, social media. So um, just go to truckingsocialmedia.com. There's a little button there, submit video, and we'll get it up there for you. And the same thing with North American Trucking Alerts. So um, that's, you know just kind of uniting people and getting their information out. And what we try to do is get people's information out, not just our own, but everybody else's. And that's the unity. Uh, Pat, what's your website? Uh, Pat's not on. I think okay. he dropped off. Okay. I I think it's um, <clears throat> Truckers United. I'm pretty sure. Let me look it up here quickly on uh, on Facebook. Yes. Truckers United. Yep, right? Truckers Truckers United. And uh he's both on Facebook dot com or dot org. Dot org, right. Truckers okay. United dot org. And he's got some tremendous articles on there. Uh Jerry, do you have a website? No, I don't. Okay. I don't do well <laughs> Well, you know, if you have an article if you have an article you've written Uh I don't know how to. I have a website. It's uh, Jerry Fritz, F R I T T S, J E R R Y F R I T T S, T T S, Jerry Fritz. Okay. It's kind of like resume and background. Some may find it interesting. Okay. But I don't well, if you if you have articles or anything and you want them reposted to share. You know, just send us the link to the article or send us the article because that's what it's going to take. You know, it's it's just sharing all this information and then pushing it out on, on social media. And, um, I mean, I, I don't see another way, really. Oh, I hear the little woman saying she, we got to get off here. <laughs> yeah, so, all right. So, hey, we appreciate it. Good conversation. There's a question on the open forum. We'll do it again soon. And, uh Donna, you have a health show coming up soon. Yeah, we'll uh, be we'll be having a health show, and um, I'll, we'll be putting out all the shows coming up. You okay. know the schedule. Okay. 
All right. Thanks again, everybody. We appreciate it. We will see you next time on Ask the Trucker Live. You've been listening to Ask the Trucker Live with Alan Smith. On behalf of Alan and Donna Smith, AskTheTrucker.com, TruckingSocialMedia.com, NorthAmericanTruckingAlerts.com, Blog Talk Radio, and Ask the Trucker Live. I'm J. Michael Collins. Until next time, drive safe and thanks for listening.